Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If you're ready for an epic family vacation, there's no better place than sunny Orlando. Exciting thrills, never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, outdoor adventures, and Florida's natural springs, and so much more. Orlando has it all. And Visit Orlando's vacation planners can help you plan the perfect trip. In Orlando, anything is possible, if you can imagine it. And that's what makes Orlando unbelievably real. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Welcome to another edition of the Hornet Timecast, your daily podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team, the Charlotte Hornets. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us once again. Hornets, unfortunately, giving us a silver linings edition of the HHC, but some spectacular silver linings, to say the least. A 138-121 to loss against the Utah Jazz. They were the number one team in the Western Conference coming into the game. They'll be so leaving Spectrum Center. Hornets were playing shorthanded. And all the while, LaMelo Ball had his best offensive game in terms of scoring of his young career. 34 points, a career high. He was just magnificent out there for Charlotte. So we're going to talk about all this and also about what these last two games really mean in context for the Hornets. Yes, it's back-to-back losses, but it's against the top two leading teams in each of the two conferences. So to help us do all this, we welcome back to the HHC, Matt Carroll, Director of Player Programs and Basketball Operations, and as well, a Charlotte NBA alumni. Matt, welcome back to the Hornets Hivecast. Sam, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Normally we'd go through what exactly went wrong. I think playing Utah is what went wrong, but I want to get right into LaMelo Ball. I'm over the moon impressed. 34 points, a career high. 14 made field goals, a career high. Four made three-pointers, a career high. What are your takeaways from this performance? I am extremely impressed, and he continues to impress me night in and night out. And tonight was obviously his highest scoring game, and it was great. It's really hard to believe when you watch him in a game like tonight that he's only 19 years old and he's a rookie. And the way he plays, his poise, his confidence, the way he's finishing at the rim, making threes, his feel for the game. We could go on and on, but I've just been overly impressed with him. And tonight he was on full display, and I'm sure he got the attention of the Utah Jazz. That's for sure, and hopefully the rest of the NBA. I hope there is never again another rookie ladder that comes out that does not have LaMelo Ball at the top of it. 
unless it's being printed by, I don't know, the Sacramento Kings or Minnesota Timberwolves PR staffs, in which case I kind of understand. But even then, I don't know how you can deny this to LaMelo Ball. He is just playing brilliant basketball. In looking for his own offense, he's obviously a pass-first type of point guard in his ability to playmake and just his nature out there on the floor. What does it say to you when a player who is more of the pass-first variety has an understanding of what's going on in the game to know that he can and should put up 27 shots and it leads to 34 points. I think that's exactly what you want from your point guard. You know, if you have somebody who, you know, he had eight assists tonight and he is a pass first point guard and tonight he realized, listen, this is a high scoring Utah jazz team and I need to score more. You know, I'm in the starting lineup tonight. The team needs me. And he was super aggressive going to the rim, looking for his own shot off of pick and rolls, looking for pull-ups and step backs and floaters. And he really turned on the aggressiveness and found ways to score. And he attempted 27 shots. I mean, that's a lot of shots, but the team needed it. And he's able to do it. And I think that's what's so impressive that we know he can pass the ball. We know he's a highlight film making plays for other people. But seeing his ability to step up and score the basketball when the team really needs it was just incredible tonight. If there are any LaMelo haters tuned into this podcast, welcome to the Hornets Hivecast. But I suppose if you wanted to make an argument without looking at the stat line, say, well, sure, he had 34 points, but the team lost by 17, so how could it have been? But when you look at his time on the floor, he played a team high 39 minutes, 23 seconds, and the plus minus was minus one. So the team lost by 16 more points in the eight minutes or so he was not on the floor than the 39 minutes he was out there. Which says a lot. I think that was the argument that most people were making when he was coming off the bench. You know, when LaMelo got in the game, it's like the game turned around and it went in a positive way for the Hornets. So now that he's starting, his minutes are obviously going up. And to think that he's able to compete and keep the score almost flat against one of the best teams, if not the best-playing team in the NBA right now, the Utah Jazz. This is a lot about his productivity and what he brings each game while he's on the court. And usually the person kind of occupying that role of best and plus-minus is Devontae Graham, and obviously his status is uncertain at this point in time, left the game with a groin injury in the first half, and hopefully he can get back soon. He had a, a solid game while he was out there, and clearly things went into free fall pretty rapidly after he got hurt and then slowly built back in the second half. But we'll get to the injuries on another podcast because we really just don't know enough information at this stage and don't want to speculate on anything for Devontae other than to say hopefully he gets back soon. Hornets falling in this one, 138 to 121. Any other players stand out to you for a silver lining in this loss to Utah? I think, again, we have to go to Gordon Hayward. You know, he was 9 for 20 from the field, ended with 25 points. Didn't take many shots late in the game in that fourth quarter when he was back in the game. But I tell you what, he just finds ways to score, you know. And doesn't matter what team in the NBA, doesn't matter what kind of defense he sees, he can score in so many different ways. Off the dribble, mid-range, get to the rim, get to the foul line, make threes. And there's really no one I've seen this year that can stop him or slow him down. You know, so he's averaging a career best. And uh, I think he's a player that, as LaMelo this season, each game has continued to impress us. Gordon Hayward, as we know, is a proven star in this NBA league, but he has done it night in and night out for this team. Very consistent. 
five on the shot clock. Hayward now pulls up from distance, got it. Gordon Hayward, yet another Lowe's drilling three-point bucket. Hornets cannot miss from beyond the arc. They're three for three from deep. And they're up 10 on the number one team in the Western Conference. That was obviously early in the game, but it kind of goes to show you when Gordon Hayward is going right, the team is going right. And what was odd to me about his scoring line tonight, everything happened in the first and third quarters. He didn't score a single point in the second quarter and a single point in the fourth quarter. And, you know, middle of the season, there's no reason for a player to play expanded minutes. But does it give you any kind of hope for, like, if you get into a playoff situation where a guy like Gordon Hayward is going to go from playing what is already a huge number of minutes on the floor? I think he's at 36 minutes a game, but would likely in a playoff situation go closer to 40. When he doesn't come off the floor, when he doesn't have a chance to, quote-unquote, cool off the kind of production he can give— on a night here where he went up against clearly an elite playoff team and was able to keep the Hornets in it or ahead of it so long as he was on the floor and in rhythm. It's a great thought to have, and I think that's a real possibility. I mean, he really, as you mentioned, did a lot of his work only in two quarters. In that fourth quarter, he was in the game, but didn't touch it. I mean, I remember him taking one field goal during that stretch late in the fourth. He's built for it. I mean, he's a vet. You know, he's played in major playoff games and atmospheres. He's got great experience. You know, he's healthy. And I think that's the great thing with Gordon. When he's healthy, he's going to produce. And I don't think the minutes seem to bother him. He's not the first time going through it. So I think it's very encouraging to think that he can handle a load as much as that. And I think his load will continue to increase as the season goes along. Hayward at this stage, I think, is right at 50% shooting from the field. He's just above 40% from three, and he is angling back towards 90% from the line. Uh, You know, as someone who was a shooter in the NBA, Matt, what level of player do you have to be to be a 50, 40, 90 guy? That's elite amongst the elites. I think you just said it. You have to be elite amongst the elite. I think a lot of times when you hear of players that are able to do that, that golden number of stats in the NBA, a lot of it is kind of catch-and-shoot guys. But then there's guys, I think, like Steve Nash, you know, some of the elite players in the league. But it's really impressive, you know. And for someone like Gordon, who scores in so many ways, is so versatile, off the dribble, off the catch-and-shoot, getting to the rim, creating his own shot, one-on-one isolation plays. I mean, that's kind of the golden standard, but it's uh, it's really impressive. Yeah, so it's one of those magic numbers. I mean, some some magic numbers have kind of disappeared as we're into a, a different era of sports and, and certain stats are more valued or more sought after than others. But I remember back to, you know, a, another era of baseball where teams would steal bases and like a 40-40 guy. You know, like there, there's home run hitters yeah. and then there's base stealers. But to be a 40-40 guy, you had to be special or a 2,000-yard rusher in the NFL. Now with platoons, they don't happen so much anymore. But I think that's the kind of parallel you have to find to get to a 50-40-90 guy. I'd agree 100%. Now, with all that on Gordon Hayward, the, the one thing I want to wrap up our silver linings on is a play from the fourth quarter. Because as great as Gordon Hayward is, I think this speaks to where LaMelo is in his development. LaMelo had, uh, I think he got a rebound. He's coming down the floor. It's the fourth quarter. He is as hot as he's ever been offensively. He passed the ball up the floor to Gordon Hayward, and Gordon immediately gave it back. And without saying it, it was as if he was saying to the rookie, you're the hot hand. You're the guy that needs to lead us right now. You go make something happen. And I don't think I've seen Gordon Hayward give the ball up to anyone 
in that fashion yet. And that's not a knock on anyone else. That's a recognition, I think, that Gordon Hayward knows more often than not the best option for the Hornets is with Gordon Hayward making a decision. And in that moment in time, his decision was, Rook, you lead the way right now. Did you see that play, and did that thought cross your mind? I did see that play. I remember it clearly, and I had a similar thought when he did give it back to him of just just that, that he has a lot of confidence in LaMelo Ball. And you're not seeing usually your top scorer, your top player in your team doing that to a rookie. And I think that speaks volumes of what Gordon thinks of LaMelo Ball. You know, to do that in that moment, to give him the ball back, to just show him. And I think it says a lot about Gordon Hayward, that he's very unselfish. You know, he's not the superstar that's going to say, no, it's just about me. i got to continue to shoot. got to get my shots, get my points. He recognized LaMelo was having a heck of a night. we got to feed him, feed the fire. He was on fire late in that game. And he's willing to do it because he is an unselfish player. And it's the kind of star and kind of leader on your team that you want to set that kind of example. Gordon Hayward, a double-double last night, 25 points, 10 rebounds. LaMelo Ball, a career-high 34 points, huge night uh, leading the way for the Hornets, 34 points. Again, career highs in points, made field goals, and threes. And You know, we're going to go just one thing longer because I have to get your opinion on this too about LaMelo. We'll shorten up one of the later segments. Sorry to shortchange everyone on some of the other talk, but we got we got to get more LaMelo in here. What does it say to you? He scored 34 points, 10 made field goals that were not three-pointers going against Rudy Gobert, who I believe – is the best defensive player in the NBA today. He is an elite athlete. I think to have the athleticism and the ability to finish on one of the best rim protectors and shot blockers in the league as a rookie is amazing. You know, most people, it doesn't matter whether you're a rookie or a five- or ten-year player, it's hard to finish over somebody like Rudy Gobert. And he had no trouble at all, you know, altering his shots and still finding ways to finish. He's so creative with the way he can finish right hand, left hand, floaters I mean he just finds ways to do it and that is sometimes a skill almost you can learn it but it's pretty innate with him that he just knows how to finish Hornets they've got a great one here in LaMelo Ball 34 points a career high does come in a loss we are going to have to break down some of the reasons why part of it is just they're they're playing the Utah Jazz it's one of the elite teams I don't know if you could have had a a tougher back-to-back than Philadelphia and Utah at this stage of the season. But we'll break down what went awry for Charlotte on this one as we continue our conversation with Matt Carroll here today on the Hornets Hivecast. But before we do, want to remind everyone that the buzz is obviously building around LaMelo Ball and this entire Hornets team. Season ticket packages for the 2021-2022 season are available. You can guarantee your price right now. For more information, call 704-HORNETS or visit hornets.com to live chat with a season ticket representative. Hayward, give and go to Ball. Hayward says, go ahead, Rook. Ball lays it in and one. Hoop in the harm. Finish plus the foul. Hayward says, go get it, Rook. And LaMelo Ball answers the call. LaMelo Ball, 34 points. One heck of a silver lining as Charlotte comes up short against Utah, 138-121. to Matt Carroll, Director of Player Programs and Basketball Operations, with the Hornets with us here on the Hornets Hivecast. Matt, we, we've got to kind of break this one down a little bit as to what went wrong. Charlotte came out of the gates very hot, a new starting lineup. Good to see Terry Rozier back out there again. He, Devontae Graham, 
and LaMelo Ball, starting with Gordon Hayward and Cody Zeller. And it worked in the first quarter. The team had as high a lead as 12 and ended the first quarter up two on Mighty Utah. What are your thoughts on how it at least started for the Hornets before things started to take a turn? I think it started well. You know, you look at, you know, somebody like Devontae Graham. You know, unfortunately he got hurt just before the half, but he started off four or five, three of three. Thought we got out of the gate really well. I thought the, the team was ready to play. They came out firing. The challenge, I think, just displayed in the fact that this is an excellent Utah Jazz team. And you knew they were going to find a way to claw back into it. And I think that the, the biggest key that stuck out to me, Sam, was three-point shooting. I mean, Utah Jazz came on fire tonight. And they made 26 three-pointers. That is a season high allowed by the Hornets. And it doesn't come as a huge shock because the Utah Jazz have the highest percentage of their points of any team in the NBA coming from threes. On any given night, they're scoring 44% of their points from threes. So on this night, quick math, they had 78 of 100. So they were well above that. That number is going to go much, much higher. They attempt more threes than anyone else uh, or sorry, they're top three in the NBA in three-point attempts. It's just a team that's got a real formula down. They're great on the offensive glass. They get second-chance opportunities, and they take and make a lot of threes. And this team seems perfectly suited to that. I mean, you got to tip your cap to Quinn Snyder, a, a former Duke Blue Devil. Uh, they've got the formula down. I mean, Boyan Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles, I think, are photocopies of themselves, and we need to get some more copies of those spread around the league because they're just tall, they rebound, they've got length, and they can knock down threes with the best of them. Uh, and then you add in Royce O'Neal, who just comes out of nowhere as a top 23-point shooter in terms of percentage. Donovan Mitchell is an elite scorer. Mike Conley is one of the best in the game at point guard. Oh, by the way, throw in Jordan Clarkson, who is an instant bucket waiting to happen off the bench. I mean, this team is just loaded for Utah. They really are. Three-point shooting. I mean, it's, it's what the NBA is about these days. And you just listed a whole team that can knock it down from deep at a high clip high percentage. And leader tonight, Bogdanovich, I mean, my goodness, 7 of 10 from the three-point line tonight. And their star, Donovan Mitchell, I mean, I think he's improved every season with his three-point shooting. And then you mentioned guys like, you know, Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench that can knock it down at any given minute. He's like a microwave coming in and just heating it up. So they have an excellent team. Uh, Quinn Snyder does a terrific job finding them open looks. And to make 26 three-pointers, I mean, years ago, you would think that's not even possible. I know we're hearing it more and more these days in the NBA, but that is still one of the best games that I have witnessed in person to make 26 three-pointers in a game. The 26 threes, I just got the note from Rob, our producer, a franchise best from threes. Is that, that it, Rob? Franchise best, 26 made threes in a game, all-time best for Utah. It is a different era of the game. And I think you could look at the statistics and say, well, you know, you, you kind of know from the scouting report what Utah is going to try and do. They're, they're going to chuck it up every opportunity they get. I still think that JB's strategy of protecting the paint first has to be the correct one because they do have Rudy Gobert down there. I mean, if you let him have one-on-one -on -one matches, we saw it a lot in the first half. If he's allowed to stand under the hoop, they're just going to toss it in his general direction. He's taller than everyone else on the floor. He barely has to jump to dunk it. It's just an automatic two points. You can't give that up. But at the same time, is there an answer that the Hornets could have had with the personnel they had? No P.J. Washington, who we'll talk about later. Devontae Graham not out there for, I'd say, about three-quarters of that game. Is there anything that was missing that the Hornets could have done differently with the personnel they had? 
I think with the Hornets having to play a small lineup, you know, we really had to have an emphasis, as JB did, on protecting the paint and protecting the rim. And the Hornets executed that. They did a good job. You know, didn't give up many points in the paint. And they kind of rolled the dice on the three-point shooting, knowing this team was going to find a way to take threes. But I don't think anybody, Coach JB especially, thought they were going to make 26 of them in the game. So that's how the game went. They got hot. Everybody shot the ball well. They shot over 50%. So that sometimes that's just the way the cookie crumbles. But I think as far as taking away the paint was a smart idea just because the Hornets lineup was so small compared to the Jazz. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, some nights you look at the box score and you say, well, you know, Team A had to shoot 50% from three in order to have a chance to win. And and on this one coming in, you know, knowing the limitations of the lineup with no P.J. Washington, I, I personally came in thinking, all right, the Hornets need Utah to shoot about 30% from three to really have a, a realistic shot at this. Or like, Utah can't even have an average night. they got to have a bad night from three or else this thing is just not in the team's favor given the personnel. But like I said, sometimes that's just how these games go. You know, teams can get hot and they can get rolling. And any time a team is shooting over 50% and taking over you know, 50 threes a game, that's usually not a good recipe for success. Hornets fall 138 to 121. We're going to talk about what this recent two-game slide means because I'm of the opinion that the Hornets had a lot of momentum after that three-game win streak against Miami, Milwaukee, and Indiana, and I still think they retain it, but we'll get the opinion of an expert, Matt Carroll, sticking around with us here today on the Hornets Hivecast. want to invite everyone to be sure to tune in and watch every Hornets game live on Fox Sports Southeast and the Fox Sports Go app. They do such a tremendous job, Eric Collins, Del Curry, Ashley Shamady, Gerald Henderson, uh, they're all spectacular. And if you get a chance, I invite you to listen in as well on WFNZ and the Hornets mobile app. Into the corner, ball, three up, and it's good. Yet another Lowe's drilling threes bucket for LaMelo Ball. 19 points now for LaMelo. His third three, and he gets another steal. LaMelo into the front court. Head fakes the pull-up three, feeds Biz. Biz goes up for the long lay, and that's good. Bismarck Biombo with six points. Hornets cut it down to 14. LaMelo Ball making a personal run in this one. Uh, LaMelo wasn't just the points. He also had eight assists in the game. He had two steals. He was spectacular. A career-high 34, and just get the impression the best is yet to come. But the Hornets do fall 138-121. to It's back-to-back losses. We're talking to Matt Carroll, the Charlotte NBA alum, of course, and also still director of player programs with the Hornets. Matt, I have a hard time getting down about the way the Hornets are playing, because I think they're playing extremely well. They just ran into the wrong two teams to have to play when you're down, you're starting power forward. And for the Hornets, normally in the rotation, you know, you would sub out P.J. Washington, bring in Miles Bridges at power forward, play that small ball look, but he's still playing with a Cody Zeller. You know, the way the rotations would work out, you kind of protect things. And with P.J. out... It creates a lot of situations where instead of Miles playing the four, he's playing the five, and he's doing it against Rudy Gobert or Derek Favors or the previous night, Joel Embiid or Dwight Howard. You know, that's not a good matchup. At certain points, the size disparity is too much to overcome, and it's not just that Miles is giving up so much height and size to a bigger, strong offensively center, but it 
comes down to everyone else up and down that order having to go up against a bigger man. I'm not worried about these two losses for the Hornets. I mean, they played against who's leading the East? The Sixers. Okay, they lost to the Sixers. Who's leading the West? Utah. They lost to Utah. And both of those teams have two of the top big men in the NBA. You got Embiid, you got Gobert. So playing against those teams with a smaller lineup is quite a disadvantage. And the fact that the Hornets were in both those games had a chance to make a run and were competitive and, and played good basketball. So, you know, thinking of those two games, I don't think there's any reason to panic, nothing to worry about. Those are two of the best teams in the league, and the, the Hornets put up a great fight against both. I think fans look at games and say, you know, like kind of look at it from a momentum standpoint. So for me, I feel like the Hornets still have all the momentum that they had from the three straight wins against playoff teams from a year ago, just the way they played and competed down to the wire against both Philadelphia as well as last night against Utah. But I know players and coaches, they never look at a game and say, well, we're without player X, so that means we should lose. They're always trying to win. So from an outside perspective, outside the locker room, looking at and saying, well, they should still have their momentum. Do the people inside the locker room and inside the coaching staff, do you think they feel they still have some momentum from that three-game win streak? Absolutely. You know, whether you're missing a guy or two, and it really doesn't matter who it is. I mean, that's why you got a whole roster of players. And anytime someone's out, misses a game, whether it's for injury or other reasons, it's an opportunity for somebody else in that roster who's been working their butt off staying ready, just waiting for their chance and their opportunity. So in a locker room, it doesn't matter who you're playing. Every game is an opportunity for somebody on that team to prove themselves and compete at the highest level. And that's what you know the NBA players are looking forward to each and every night. When we looked at the standings going into the last game, the Hornets were in a tie for six. Now, obviously, things are going to change between now and when the Hornets play their next game against the Washington Wizards. But after last night's loss, you look at you know the totality of the season. Hornets have played 23 games. Yes, I know, 10 wins, 13 losses. That doesn't sound great. But they have played so far five games against teams that reside in the top three of the conference in that Milwaukee, Indiana, and, and Philadelphia range. They've only played one game against a bottom three team, and they won it against Miami. So at this stage of the game... Does it feel like the Hornets are a better team, given that they've played more teams that are above 500 than teams that are, you know, kind of at the the bottom of the Eastern Conference? Who, in theory, if you're a playoff team, you should have an above 500 record against. I think so. I mean, listen, you're not going to beat good teams in the NBA if you're not good, you know. And I think you look at even a game like Miami. They beat the Miami Heat. But Miami Heat. They were in the, in the championship last year. You know, so let's not forget, that's a very good basketball team. So, yeah, I think they could be better than what their record even says now because they're beating some very good high-level teams in the NBA, and you got to think that the schedule will be a little more favorable in the second half. Hornets uh, get to continue this home trend tomorrow against the Washington Wizards. We'll have a full breakdown of it. And, again, I think there is going to start to become a little bit of pressure now that these two games are behind the team. Matt, we'll get your thoughts on this one before we let you go. But I think there will be some pressure to start to rack up at least a couple of wins in the next you know, week and a half while the team is home because when they hit the road, they're going west. They wrap up the first half with a six-game road trip to all Western Conference opponents. And the West is loaded. I mean, I know, you know, there's some teams near the bottom like Minnesota, but even they have some star-studded rosters. I mean, when you 
think about going to play teams like Utah and Phoenix and Golden State and Portland. It, it can become very tough sledding, not to say that every game that they've got on their schedule coming up is a cakewalk, but I think going on the road and going west in particular presents a unique set of challenges. So how much pressure is there on the Hornets to get closer to 500 or at least you know rack up a few wins here on the Spectrum Center floor in the next two weeks? I think it's important. You know, you, you want to kind of put some chips in the piggy bank before you got to head out on that grueling West Coast trip. And when you got games like Washington, you got Houston coming to town, Memphis, the Timberwolves, you know, very winnable games for the Hornets. So those are games that you want to get, try to build up your win column. And knowing that going out West, hopefully you can steal some out there, but it's going to be hard. We know you go out West, you're playing very high level, good teams. And that's a tough trip any year, no matter how good your team is. So I think this is important to try to get a couple wins in the next week or so. Hornets will try and maintain their momentum going into the game on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, against the Washington Wizards. Rob Longo will be with me on tomorrow's Hornets Hivecast to break that one down. Since we we won't talk to you between now and the Super Bowl, who who do you like, Matt? I'm really not leaning any which way, but you got to pick a team in the Super Bowl. Um, So I'm going to go with the GOAT. I'm going to go with Tom Brady. I feel like he still has some magic left, as we see in this season. And as good as the Chiefs are, and they did it last year, and I love Mahomes and the way he plays, but I think I'm going to lean towards Tom Brady. He's got to have some magic up his sleeve, something ready for this, I'm sure. I, I can't you? I can't argue with it. I personally have picked the Chiefs on record on uh, WFNZ earlier in the week on this one. I'm wavering. I, the thing that scares me, aside from the GOAT, from Tom Brady and all the offensive weapons they have, Kansas City's out their, their left tackle. They're without Fisher, and I— that's a big piece. That's a you know. That's like uh, I don't think anyone would look at the Hornets and say you know the 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 one guy you cannot play without is Cody Zeller. But we saw what an impact it had to not have Cody Zeller, to not have your quote unquote left tackle out there setting picks and opening up space. So uh, I think there could be a similar impact on uh, on KC. But we'll have to see. Yeah, we will. But I'm excited. I think it's going to be a good one. You get a full day of sports because the Hornets are playing Washington early and then you get to enjoy your Super Bowl. Matt, we wish you a great Super Bowl Sunday and look forward to having you back again here on the Hornets Hivecast. Sounds great, Sam. Enjoyed it. Thank you. And we look forward to having all of you back with us as well. Again, we'll be back tomorrow. Rob Longo and I to set you up for Hornets and Wizards. Till then, for everyone here with the Charlotte Hornets, I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you along and we'll talk to you again next time on the Hornets Hivecast.